So Todd, first of all, welcome to the show. Second of all, I have some real podcasting ethics that I think. I, yes, please. <laughs> I need to I'm hit you up. I'm in desperate need. You were you were <laughs> so kind to allow me onto your show, which is Computer Resume. Yeah. On uh, on Podbean is where you where you can find it. You can find it on all the uh, mm-hmm. the podcast networks and et cetera, et cetera. I came on. I did Future Tense. I think that's the name of the episode, the Enterprise episode. We had a yes. We had a lovely discussion. It was a good podcast. Mm-hmm. I recommend everyone listen to it. Search for a computer resume on all your favorite podcast listening devices. But before that, when we started, when we were doing the recording, we were doing a mm-hmm. uh, recording way that I w- I'm not I'm not familiar with. I said, Todd, does the does the audio sound okay? Does everything sound right? And you said, that sounds great. Wes, this sounds perfect, crisp. He said crisp, I think, <laughs> as the kids say these days. I said, this is a man oh, no. who respects good audio. And then I heard it, and my audio sounded like hot garbage. And I was, I was so, Oh, no. Oh, God. I was so, I, what, here's the podcasting ethics, though. We yes. are, even though we're on friendly terms, we're in some levels mm-hmm. competitors with each other, right? As podcasts about the, same, yeah, the yeah, same topic. Yeah, I can understand that, yeah. I, I wonder... If there was, if, if <laughs> was there any any subtle mind games going there, where the personal tune in there go, this person's audio sounds like garbage. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna listen to this person. <laughs> and I think that you, I think that you sabotaged me in in the best way possible. This is all, uh, this is all a joke. I don't really mind. It's just the way a podcast recording goes and stuff like that. But I did find it funny that like, it, what is, yeah, what is the obligation to- for a podcast to be like this audio? Um, this audio could be better or something like that. <laughs> I'll be honest, you know, uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to, uh, guest on, um, a few different podcasts and, um, and I, I you know, I'm always in awe of the, uh, the quality and stuff that comes about. And mm-hmm. then I had this idea for, for my own show and uh, an idea many people have had search for Star Trek podcast. You'll find a bunch of them. And uh, you know, I went into this with little to no knowledge. I had, I had been on a podcast for a few years and it was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, it's the, the software does most of the thing. You just got to make it sound, you know, you just got to cut it all together and put in your sound effects and, and and your music and all that stuff and and you're good to go from there. And um for the most part I've had yeah, for the most part and but I have had every issue from recording in a different room to <laughs> traffic outside to my dog intruding to my phone going off to um the guests not able to find the notes to uh <laughs> You know, uh, me putting my foot in my mouth with Spencer Garrett. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. That was, oh, man, I just wanted to crawl into a hole. <laughs> did you think, did you think you, did you call him the wrong character in Star Trek or something? <laughs> Were you like, how, no, what was it like I, to play um, Captain Picard? The, I mean, if, I mean, the, ep, the interviews out there, it's on our feed. He was, uh, he, so kind and so gracious to come on the show and carve out some time to talk about his career. Mm. Um, For people who don't know, he plays um, in the def- not the defector, the drumhead. He's the uh, the yeah. half, half breed Romulan 
Vulcan yes. character. Simon Tarsus. Simon yes, Tarsus. Absolutely. Yeah, great name. Wonder, wonderful. A wonderful. Which he, you know, he actually expressed that he would go back and change it. But, you know, he and I discussed that at length. But, you know, early on in the discussion, I, you know, kind of wanted, I had a couple questions about, you know, his schooling and, you know, and all that stuff because he went to school at Duke University, which is not far from where I'm at in South Carolina. Sure. And he actually has uh, some some notable um, classmates that he was in school with. One of them, which was uh, Rene um, oh, Escavera, Escavera, who was a the, the showrunner. St- yes, Escavera. Uh, yeah, Rene Escavera. Yes, yes. Um, went to school with them, but started talking about his classmate Retta the um, African-American female comedian who's uh, on Parks and Rec played yeah. Donna. Okay, right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and he started talking about Retta, and I started talking about Renee, and oh, we... Oh, uh, I see. I see. Yeah, just big foot in the mouth, and like, I was so embarrassed, because I felt like... Because he saw my notes, because I, I sent him my notes, and he was very very complimentary of you know me being prepared and having all this stuff ready to go mm. and then i just go and make that mistake and i was just <laughs> like oh my god but but as for the technical stuff the only thing i can do is sort of throw up my hands and go like i really don't know what i'm doing <laughs> no i'm just i'm just giving you a hard time it's totally i, I no, just- honestly Cause I, cause I mean, once we're, once we're done, once we're done with the show, I actually do want to pick your brain about some podcast, uh, promotional marketing type things. Cause, uh, you guys are, you guys are killing it. You guys are steadily killing it. And I, uh, thank you. I've been trying to learn and glean as much as I can from everyone I talk to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the, the thing is your show is a new guest every week, which for people who are unfamiliar with podcasting is basically, I don't know what the good analogy, the analogy would be like starting a new job every day of the week. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, where's the bathroom? Uh, like, where's my desk? Where do I sit? How do I get the coffee? So learning that every single day is a, uh, a stressful thing, which is one of the reasons that this podcast actually went away from guests is because it would backfire quite frequently with guests where uh-huh. something would go wrong. And eventually it just became a thing of like, if your day is shot, your night of recording is shot, your night of recording is shot, and it really pushes stuff back on you. It like oh, really yeah. compounds on it. So me and Clay are here now. But anyway, Todd, how are you? Yes. This is Todd from Computer Resume. You can introduce yourself. I was on the show, as I mentioned, but please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Todd A. Davis. I'm a writer, comedian, and host of the Computer Resume podcast, where we are covering all the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. We've uh, been branching out a little bit here uh, at the end of our first year, getting into our f- uh, getting into our second year, and uh, we've started including things like a fantasy draft where we ha- I had some of the frequent guests on, and we did sort of a fantasy style draft of who would you choose to your uh, to your crew. And then we uh, took it to Instagram and let the fans d- uh, vote for their favorites. And that's kind of how we decided. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And we've had some interviews with some Star Trek cast members. Uh, Bonnie Gordon, who is the voice of the USS Protostar on mm. Prodigy, came on. She was absolutely wonderful. That's interesting. Um, 
very talented voice actress. Yes. And singer, uh, her Catherine Janeway impression is on point. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, we also had um, Mr. Uh, Spencer Garrett, who played Simon Tarsus in the TNG episode, The Drumhead. He also was in Flesh and Blood in uh, Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've got, uh, we've got one, we've got a, we've got a cast member from Picard coming on in a few weeks to, uh, to chat with us about an episode. So I will, I'll just tease that a little bit and say that's, that's coming down the pike very soon. Um, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sounds good. You guys can check it out. It's computer resume on all of your favorite podcast devices. So good luck with all the, uh, the interviews, you're doing well, Todd. It was a lot of fun to be on Computer Resume. I figure in this podcaster, Rubs Podcasters Back kind of thing, you have to, now everyone will flip-flop the shows here. You come on, and as they say in virtuosity, you're in my world now. <laughs> and so we're going to <laughs> talk about Arman Bashir, which is a revisit. Yes. So Arman Bashir is the 10th episode of the fourth season of Star Trek DS9. Came out on November 27th, 1995. Teleplay goes to Ronald D. Moore. Story credit goes to Bob Gillen. Directed by Weinrich Goldie. In-universe date unknown, but it's 2372. A transporter accident replaces the characters in Bashir's secret agent holosuite program with the physical forms of the station's senior staff. It's a holodeck is broken episode. It's in the fourth season of DS9. So I'll start this one off with... When I asked you to come on, I usually ask people to give me two or three episodes that they would want to do to see which one is probably the best fit. This was the best fit, I thought, out of the ones that you chose. One of them was a lower deck, which I thought was a little bit too soon. And then that you might have had a Voyager in there, maybe, which we haven't done yet. So I believe so, yeah. DS9 is what we're left with. And (laughs) first question to you, Mm -hmm. DS9, we do a Patreon poll every month and we usually do a Star Trek revisit like we're doing now here with you where we go back and we revisit an old episode we've already covered. DS9 never wins the revisit poll. (laughs) Everyone says it's their favorite Star Trek. It never wins the the revisit poll. It always comes in dead last. Why do you think that is? You know, I think there's something to be said about um, the romantic nature of being in a ship traveling from place to place as opposed to here we are at the wormhole and everyone's coming to us. And it it looks like a big shopping mall in space. And I'll be honest, like, I, you know, when I do stand up comedy, I, I have a Star Trek bit and I always ask the audience hey, do we have any Star Trek fans in the crowd? And that'll usually get, you know, a smattering of applause, uh, a couple woos. I'm like, okay, great. Let's narrow it down even further. Who's a fan of Deep Space Nine? Mm -hmm. And consistently crickets. Like nobody. (laughs) And then I go on to do my Avery Brooks, my Avery Brooks (laughs) impression. And it's, um, (laughs) it is received just as well as you think it might be. (laughs) Would it, would it, is the joke there that the impression is terrible, but no one would be able to tell whether or not it's a good impression or not? They're like, this sounds exactly like uh, Captain Cisco. You guys, you guys just have to believe me at this point. Well, the, yeah. Well, the thing is, is kind of like, and I've I've watched enough Deep Space Nine. I'm a big Star Trek fan. I've watched enough and listened to uh, Avery Brooks's uh, tone and cadence and you know the different pauses. I you know I think he has a more interesting cadence than William Shatner, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but I do this thing where I'm, uh, 
I'm Avery Brooks ordering fast food at a drive through window, but <laughs> talking very much like Benjamin Cisco. I'll, I'll save that because it's as good as it, as good as it does on stage, it's going to be even better here on the podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do that bit and I always, I always have to go look. Sometimes the jokes aren't for you. That one is for me. Just know that you have heard a spot on Avery Brooks impression. There you and go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like I said, it has never gone well. But that one I keep in my back pocket because I kind of approach comedy with a little bit of a uh, with my ear towards Will Ferrell, who when things were going bad on uh, stage at second city or, you know, on camera at SNL, his, his go-to reaction was to just lean in even harder. And it yeah. ended up, you know, be really making, uh, more often than not really making that scene. So, you know, my star Trek, my star Trek bit is if the set's going bad, okay, let's just go ahead and lean even harder into it where I'm going to do something and not a single person is going to laugh. And from there we can build back up to the end of the set. And then I can drink myself to sleep. Is that, that's uh that's thematically aligning itself with uh, DS nine there, I suppose maybe probably one of the other series might actually be more Little, in line with that. Yeah. I think I, I always wonder, I think it's this, I, I think there's this question of, I think that the 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 answer to why no one votes for DS9 is kind of what makes DS9 the special Star Trek to me in that. Mm. So my, my big thing, like my big takeaway from Armand Bashir is watching this after not having been here for a while and having been watching Enterprise recently, we're in the fourth season of DS9 and the show feels just so much more comfortable with itself than Enterprise ever does at any point. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's something to be said for DS9 is a tough show to just drop in and watch one episode because it's really the Star Trek show that's built around the universe that it is inhabiting and like how the characters react to each other and how it, it feels the most like you have to settle in with the with the, the the show in a way that the other Star Treks maybe don't. You can you can drop in a little bit more. And, right. Which is a long way to say what I like most about Armin Bashir is dropping in with the DS9 cast. The counterpoint to this is I don't think this is a very good episode. So I'm interested in A, why you chose it, and also oh. the fact that the first time we went through this, we had a guest on who specifically requested this episode then at that point too. So what is it <laughs> okay. about this episode that draws you guys like uh, like lightning bugs to the to the, the little flicker zapper thing. Um, when I don't think it's well, a terrible episode, but I find it an interesting episode to choose for this show. Uh, you know, to sort of go along with what you just said, I feel like um, Deep Space Nine is definitely harder for folks to pick up right off the bat because you, you, and you hit the nail on the head saying that, you know, it's the characters reacting to each other. I think another way to say that is it is character centric and it's so heavy on character development. You know, I'm, yeah. our show is still working its way uh, slowly, but surely through enterprise where we've got Scott, Scott Bakula and everyone else who wishes they, <laughs> We're Scott Bakula. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just not getting their their characters are great, but they're 
rarely getting a chance to shine. Whereas with Deep Space Nine, it's such an ensemble piece that, you know, even Benjamin Sisko at the center of this new narrative, he starts off with a really dark, heavy catalyst to his story that mm-hmm. Picard, who is essentially his commanding officer, um, when he was Locutus, killed his wife, Battle or um, Wolf uh, Wolf 359. And we can't just leave heavy. her here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Off. I, and, I love that um, area. Yeah, and we uh and we see that, and it's kind of you know, he's the first, he's the first uh quote unquote captain um who is a is a father and a widower. That I mean, that's that's those that layer. There are so many layers to that onion already, not to mention his second in command, who is a former terrorist. Yep. Like, that's crazy. And then you bring in some developed characters in O'Brien and Worf. And, you know, it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And Quark, even. Quark's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. So rather than focusing on action and plot, this Deep Space Nine really focuses in on the characters. And I think that's such a detraction from traditional Trek that maybe it's still just kind of drawing to people. And I don't know why. I don't know why more people that I have spoken with who claim that Deep Space Nine is their favorite. They are few and far between. But I don't know why more people aren't into Deep Space Nine. That being said, Deep Space Nine is my least favorite. Oh, interesting. <laughs> of the of the live action. But I do enjoy a good character study. And I think that's partly due to um, some training I had as an actor, some performances, uh, you know, my experience in performing as a stand-up comedian, being able to observe and <laughs> report back is essentially the process with stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, being able to watch people and sort of pick out those things that make them tick the, you know, find their buttons and what really sets them off. And deep space nine is that, you know, you're watching these characters develop over time. And I think really every character on there gets their just due. And I think this for Julian Bashir, for the character of Julian Bashir is really a peek inside his head and us getting to see how uh, this man's brain really works and what he thinks about and, you know, who, you know, how, how he sees himself and where, where he would like, where he would like to be in the eyes of others. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of why I enjoy this, this is a very long answer to a fairly simple question, and I apologize. But um, <laughs> our man Bashir, the reason I like it is I always love the things that don't go together juxtaposed with each other. You know, you have a you know a character study uh, set in deep space in you know the far future. But this narrative largely takes place in the 60s, in the, you know, in the realm of this spy uh, adventure. Yep. And I just love the, you know, Garrick still looks like Garrick. Worf still looks like Worf. Kira still looks like Kira. 
but they're playing these roles within the roles. And I just love it. I it's I, not only is it a great character study on the part of Julian Bashir, I think it's a great look at acting within certain, uh, you know, costumes and prosthetics, but going mm-hmm. against that character to represent something else. And yep. I, I was love that. I love that with stuff like fistful of data's, and um, elementary deer data, you know, mm-hmm. them in Victorian London playing Sherlock and Holmes or excuse me, Sherlock and Watson. And, you know, you know, uh, TNG, TOS, Enterprise, even they all had Western episodes and those were always yes. really a lot of fun. Uh, so that's that's kind of the main reasons I enjoy this. I love the I love the spy genre anyway. I love Bond. I love Jason Bourne, I love, you know, espionage and uh, uh, political thrillers of that nature and, uh, you know, spy adventures. So this this seemed like a fun time to talk about it. Would you say that you like holodeck episodes or Bond more than the other? Which which would you prefer, Ooh. Bond or a holodeck episode? Because I wonder, I wonder how much this episode benefits from being a Bond fan because I'm, I'm not really a Bond fan and... Would you consider yourself a Bond fan like more than the average person or would you consider yourself just to more prefer these like holodeck type episodes in Star Trek? I do enjoy the holodeck episodes. I think that I I would consider myself a casual Mm. Bond fan um, mostly because uh, in a previous life uh, I worked in law enforcement Mm -hmm. and uh, my uh, commanding uh, my commanding officer was a huge diehard Bond fan. <laughs> um, so I cannot begin to put myself anywhere near his level of fandom in terms of Bond. But I really enjoyed, um, you know, Sean Connery was my Bond for a long time. Yep. And I even considered uh, one of the Bond films that's not considered a Bond film, um, Never Say Never Again, as my favorite. Not only did it have Sean Connery returning as an older James Bond, but it also had Kim Basinger, mm-hmm. um, you know, from, from Tim Burton's Batman. And she's, you know, I, you know, as a, as a young man growing up, watching that was, uh, answered some questions that yeah. I had about myself, <laughs> <laughs> I think is the nicest way I can say that. I can understand. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy Bond, but I, I really enjoy the juxtaposition of, you know, sci-fi, futuristic sci-fi in a retro setting, telling a different type of story. That's one of the things that we've seen in Enterprise, actually, is, you know, with the, you know, even though it's the prequel series to essentially the entire franchise, we've seen that in this futuristic space, uh, you know, exploration series, a lot of those episodes watch like horror movies. Yes. Um, everything from aliens to zombies to um, mind control to uh, robots trying to take us over. All that all that stuff is all in those episodes. And I wonder how much of that was sort of influenced by uh, Rick Decker and his involvement with the show early on. But yeah, I, I really enjoy I really enjoy the. I enjoy the franchise as it is traveling through space, you know, diplomacy with alien life forms, solving problems, occasionally getting into, you know, dogfights with other 
unfriendly species. That's all great. I love it. I'm on board for it. But every now and then you get these holodeck episodes and they're really fun. They're really special. It just takes these characters that you love so much and just puts them in a different setting and let's, you know, let's play out a Western thing or let's play out Victorian era London mystery thing or Mm. let's, you know, like this, let's have a spy adventure. And uh, yeah, it's all great, man. I love it. So I guess my my concern with this one being an episode of Star Trek is that I was excited to get back into DS9. Haven't seen them in a while. I remember not particularly liking this episode, but I thought maybe I'd uh, get maybe my, my fondness for the characters would overwhelm me and the nostalgia would wash over me and I'd be very enthralled by it. I think my <laughs> problem with Arman Bashir is that it's a it doesn't really have an a second or third gear energy level to it. Um, it's one of these. It's one of these stories that the reference of like or the concept of let's make a Bond Star Trek on the holodeck, and you go, that's great. That'll be a good idea. That'll be a good show. And then when you get down to making it, all you can kind of do are these homages to the franchise that don't really end up amounting to much in my opinion, like homages to the bond franchise. Yeah. Like everything here is just kind of, you know, like, um, Worf is playing hit this star Trek's version of the Lashif or whatever that, that villain is the card playing guy. Uh, like he's playing that, you know, it has the sort of, they call this a spy thriller, but it's really just, it's going off bond. Like they did it to say that they wouldn't get sued by MGM or whatever, but it's, it's clearly just a bond thing. And I think that the reason I ask if if you have to be a big Bond fan to enjoy this is that if you're a Bond fan, I think that that might be enough to have a Star Trek episode where it's just kind of playing up the Bond thing. But if Mm. you're not into Bond, you end up feeling, I end up feeling that this episode is just an example of an episode that gets kind of stuck spinning its wheels where it has an idea, but it doesn't really know what to do with that on top of it. So I, I can understand Bashir getting a little bit of like uh, you start understanding Bashir as a character and the uh, Siddig considers this to be like a turning point for the character or whatever. I just don't, you know, you get to a certain point at this where you're just like, this is just Avery Brooks hamming it up now. He's going to play a Bond villain and we're going to watch it. <laughs> and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I just don't like Bond enough for it to carry me through the episode, I think. I think that's my yeah, major problem th- with it. Yeah, I think with them doing, you know, uh, what is clearly a parody of, you know, uh, many different types of stories like Bond, you know, they even go as far as to mention uh, our man Flint, the man from Uncle Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and a few others. But um, yeah, if you're if you're kind of not a fan of that type of story, of that type of adventure, then, yeah, this might not. This might not work for you. And I think, you know, uh, the other thing that is a bit of a trope with this is that you might be able to get on board with if you're not down for Bond is the idea of the transporter accident of like, yeah, oh, their patterns are stuck in a thing, you know. Um, So that's, you know, that's another trope that you might be able to get on board with. But it's so heavily buried in this James Bond uh, parody that yeah I, I I see it kind of getting um yeah if if you're not down for bond then this is probably not going to be for you but uh, what I find interesting and I spoke at length about 
character development and Deep Space Nine really being a character-centric narrative, I really think they might have done even better to sort of mix up who was playing whom, you know, um, they have Kira as the spy or they have, they have Kira as the, uh, Russian, uh, the Russian operative. They have Dax as a scientist. They have, uh, O'Brien as sort of a tough guy. They have Worf as sort of the quiet tough guy. And, Mm -hmm. And Avery Brooks, who's, you know, very colorful, uh, the big boss centric and yeah, big as the big boss. Yeah. So it would have been interesting to maybe put O'Brien as the big boss and maybe have J, you know, a, um, Benjamin Cisco as the quiet one yeah. and, you yeah. know, yeah. switch up, switch up the ladies, you know, let, let, uh, you know, let, um, Dax be the the Russian operative and have uh, Kira be the, you know, more mousy scientist and, mm-hmm. you know, just play against type because even though they were still their characters, those characters still kind of fit in that bond narrative. And I think it might've been fun to switch that up, you know, <laughs> 20 years after the fact, but um, no, I can yeah, understand I think, that. I think that's probably my only complaint about it is is I, I wish they would have been a little more creative with their pairing of the Bond characters with the Star Trek characters. Yeah, they do just um, they do mash them up in a way that they mimic their Star Trekky side within the episode itself. I would mm-hmm. agree. I think that would be fun if they had mixed it up a little bit more than that. Um, you had mentioned the like the sci-fi aspect of this is that it's a transporter accident gone bad. It's a, uh, I think it's one of the sort of strange things about the episode is that the, the transporter goes bad when the ship blows up plot is so, it almost strikes me as like a James Bond villain plot in and of itself. Like it's so silly outside of that. And it happens so abruptly uh, where, you know, just Cisco's like, well, we're almost home. And then they're like, oh, the warp engine's going to blow up and then it blows up, but they're stuck in the transporter. I think I think my yeah. biggest problem with the outside the holodeck stuff is that um, I really don't like the Eddington and Odo pairing as a couple. Like, I, I don't like them as a a pair of characters that have to fix something because they're, they're sort of similar to each other, so they don't really get a good foil sense. I just don't... Um, yeah. Those scenes really dragged for me because I don't feel like it's anything other than them trying to tech the tech of what the problem is and how they're going to get people out. And there's really nothing interesting going on out there, but they spend a lot of time with Odo, Eddington, and the Ferengi trying to figure out how to fix things. What do you think about those two sections? A lot of Eddington in this too, if you want to, if you want to comment on Eddington. I'd forgotten how much he's in this one. Yeah, I forgot about Edding, Eddington as well. Um, it was, you know, uh, fun revisiting revisiting this and seeing him again. But yeah, I think, you know, oh, how convenient that the entire senior staff is on this one trans on this uh, yeah. on this one little ship sitting next um, to each other on the way home. Just everyone sitting yep, right sitting, next to each other. Exactly. Uh, so it might have been fun to see. It might have been fun to see more uh, O'Brien and Odo interacting with each other i think just because um i don't i don't know that they got a lot of character development between each other yeah i think it was mostly focused on odo and kira and uh you know miles and julian um but yeah i think uh 
it I think weird it might that have Eddington been... stuck out there, right? Like O'Brien, I, I, I guess that they want to. I mean, the 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 understanding of what's going on is that they do have to get everybody stuck in the holodeck somehow. Like that's mm-hmm. the point of this episode. But it's one of those mm-hmm. situations where I think it in in an attempt to make the concept of what they're doing you kind of have to sacrifice at the altar the normal way that these episodes play out in an interesting way. So because they need all the senior staff in the holodeck, Odo gets stuck with Eddington outside, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> this is not, this is not a great pairing. I don't think and yeah. it's that kind of a, a struggle when you make an episode like this. And in my opinion, the stuff that's going on in the holodeck isn't good enough to distract me from the stuff being boring outside of it. It all kind of fits together in this unsatisfying way. Right. I would have preferred, you know, fewer shots outside the, you know, let the, let the scenes outside the holodeck, um, play off, you know, in Julian and Garrick's ear. Yeah. And, um, you know, and have it, have it take place that way. I've always, you know, I, I'm inclined to let things happen if if you're going to do an homage to something like Bond or something like, uh, you know, the horror movies that I mentioned, uh, the horror movie-esque episodes in Enterprise, I say lean in and lean in really hard. There is uh, an episode that they did called North Star, and they had the some camera wipes, you know. A la, you know, some of the older Westerns and even, you know, Star Wars used those a lot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really, really lean in on some of those uh, um, photographic tropes, you know, of one of the things that we're covering right now is uh, we've gotten into the arcs uh, with the Zindi in uh, season three. And one of the things that they do right off the bat, which was kind of disappointing you know, of course, 20 years after the fact. But one of the things that I was kind of bummed about was that they show the Zindi Council full frame, full light, everybody here. Hey, hey, take a look at our prosthetics and look at our digital effects. Mm-hmm. Isn't it really cool? Aren't they, you know, mean and scary? You know, they really I really felt like they should have taken a page out of the X-Files and have them all in silhouette and have them all in this dark room where we can't see them. Yeah. If that's if you're if you're wanting us to be scared of these folks, then, you know, let's don't show do them. it like Spielberg. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it like Spielberg. We don't need to see the shark. You've sold us. These people are terrifying. Yeah. But, you know, with something like this uh, with Bond, I think it would have. I think it were I think it would have served well to maybe even shoot it in black and white yep. or to have some grain on it and maybe do some uh some camera techniques that uh evoke some of those feelings and watching some of those older Bond movies from the 60s and 70s um yep. I think that would have been I think that would have been a lot of fun to sort of break it up and yeah and then even if you still have your scenes outside of the holodeck Shoot those like you normally would. Yeah. Just to further illustrate the difference of like these folks are in the holodeck. See, it's all grainy and black and white and, you know, looks like a spy movie. And, you know, uh, and everybody, everybody else is, uh, you know, shot, quote unquote, normally. But, yeah, you know, you know, reading about the production of this particular episode, it went two days longer than their average shoots. Yes. 
Um, cost a lot more too. It was a budget. Yeah, there. cost a lot more. Um, you know, different different uh, you know, uh, set designs, uh, completely new sets. They had to rent one of the sets. Yeah. And uh yeah, it's just, yeah, it was faced with all kinds of problems. And again, you know, 20 years difference shooting something in black and white is not as big and big of an issue today as it may have been back then. I don't know. You know, yeah. that's another editing issue, but I don't know. I, I think they could have, you know, it's Star Trek. We're in. So just go ahead and lean in, lean in and take us, take us as far as you can. It's one of those, like, I, I think you've pinpointed something for me that I think is uh, my, my problem for this is that watching this, it feels when you're in the holodeck, like it's an extremely low budget bond movie and not in a very good way. It's like the, the sets are there and you can tell that they're kind of mimicking a bond thing, but it doesn't feel like a bond universe really. And I I understand what you're saying is that like cinematically you might want to do some movie techniques that would actually elevate this and make it actually look like it's a sixties bond movie and like how it's shot and what the characters are doing. And, um, the costuming and everything like that. To me, it just feels like it's this um, artificial world that they're playing in. And I find it really distracting and cheap looking in a lot of ways. Like I I wish that there was more effort put into it, but I understand that with the realities of how this show is produced, that they can't do that at the same time. So it's one of those things that always makes me wonder, like to make this actually work best, it really has to look like a Bond movie in the holodeck Mm. and that would actually probably keep my attention but now all it looks like to me is it's it's the characters i know playing dress up and i think that to be successful the episode actually has to really (laughs) make you think that this is a bond thing instead Mm. and it never really Mm. gets there unfortunately for me so it ends up just feeling like it's a um a dress up thing in a way that i don't really hold it against the sherlock holmes of tng stuff that feels different to me because that feels like that feels like data playing the role of Sherlock Holmes is the point of that where right it doesn't feel the same here it feels like i'm supposed to believe that Bashir actually is a, a spy character mm. yeah i mean and it's and it's all well and good until like until stuff goes wrong and then he kind of is having to play this role to a degree but more to Save the lives of his friends. And, yeah, it you know, juxtaposes that, into the uh, talking to Garrick in the cave sequence, which I always think is a little bit awkward. That, that right, maneuver. yeah. I, yeah, I think they could have, uh, you know, maybe done it a little bit differently. I, Yeah, I'm, it, you know, as much as I give grief to uh, the Star Trek writers' rooms for, you know, especially things they did in Enterprise, but, you know, n- no show is perfect. But, um you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get some of this. Well, (laughs) and there's two sides to this coin as well. I was about to say that it's hard to do a lot of these things in 44 minutes. Yeah. The flip side of that coin is they do it in lower decks in 22 minutes. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) If you, if you think back to the lower decks episode where, um, uh, Mariner's therapy, she sets it up like a movie in the holodeck a parody of Star Trek, the motion picture and it's done so well and it still feels very Star Trek and they've got all the elements in there, both uh, thematically and cinematically that really kind of help sell you on that. 
And I just think, you know, this is Deep Space Nine. Like, we're well into a very successful, established franchise. Yeah. Let's take some risks. Yeah, let's do it in black and white. Let's, you know, let's expand a little. Let's mix up the characters a little bit. You know, let's do something that we have not done before. Um, and let's push, let's push the, the, let's push the formula a little bit. Now, would the EPs and showrunners be on board for that? From what I've heard from different documentaries and, and things of that nature? No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. This would have been the show to do it though. You know, like yeah. DS, DS9 was not afraid of doing an idea and even doing it badly and sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> like DS9 is interesting to me because you had mentioned that you said it's your least favorite Star Trek. Um to me what's so fascinating about DS9 is that I think DS9 is the best television show out of all of mm. the series. It's maybe mm-hmm. not the best Star Trek show, but it's the best television show. But what's fascinating about that is almost all of its long-running subplots save for things like the the dominion and stuff like that are terrible and execute like the the mirror universe in DS9 is awful every ferengi episode i think is pretty bad and i don't want to watch for a show that's so good about so much of its stuff a lot of it is actually terrible at the same time too and it's i i, I think it's DS9 was never i think bear running the show was never afraid to like do different things but his what he considered to be stuff that he liked is something that I really don't like. I feel very much of a different generation than Ira mm. Bear. Like I don't, I don't like the same movies that he likes. I don't get a lot of his references because I don't. I didn't grow up with that era of movies. Uh, the sort of literary stuff that he brings up is not what's in my wheelhouse. So he was he was one to push the boundaries, I suppose. But maybe it's just not always in a way that I enjoy or appreciate and this maybe this bond episode i don't think this is his idea to do the bond episode but it might be in the same line as that yeah you know gosh it's a tall order it's a tall order to you know have such a have such an established franchise and then to take this thing and sell them on the idea i mean again if you read into the production of this they were not interested in holodeck episodes yeah and the fact that this got a green light at all is just like shy the of a miracle. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they yeah. like the setup, interestingly. They like the idea of a transporter accident getting people stuck in the holodeck, which is which is interesting to me. It's one of these memory alpha facts I don't know if I believe because to me the whole reason one would want to do a holodeck episode is not the fact that people are stuck, how they get stuck in it, but the concept of what you're going to do on the holodeck. You know, right. If I was yeah. getting, if I was yeah, getting this pitch, right. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, the story about how they get stuck in the holodeck is fascinating. Like, who cares what actually goes on in there? But the 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 getting stuck itself is so good. I have to make the show. I don't I don't really believe that in some way. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem logical. Yeah, I mean, you know, it in a story that has a. Uh, a spy who uh, makes himself out to be a tailor and looks the way he does being the sidekick, you know? Yes. (laughs) Uh, You know, 
being able to suspend disbelief is kind of, uh, I think, I think the transporter, the transporter, uh, subplot, you know, of, Hey, it was, uh, sabotage and okay, now we're stuck. I think that's, I think that's fun enough to hook the casual viewers. Yeah. Um, but then again, and and then after that, it's kind of, okay, you might not be in for this spy adventure, but they make it pretty clear that this is Julian's fantasy. Like as yeah. soon as Garrick appears, he's like, hey, get out of here. This is, <laughs> this is my time in the holodeck. He's like, what are you embarrassed? He's like, no, but this is my private time. This is, you know, this is. It's apparently one of know, the greatest really, crimes of the 24th century is to interrupt somebody's holodeck program, which is fascinating. He's like, this is, this violates every ethical norm that we have in this uh, civilization. It's like, really? <laughs> That's interesting. Makes sense. Exactly. People are probably in there just, you know, fucking their brains out. And Garrick walks in and he gets oh, in, yeah. exposed to this thing. And, uh, you know, that's the other thing that DS9, DS9 at least winked and, you know, paid attention to the idea that people are definitely having sex in the holodeck. Like, that's what's going <laughs> on in these things. Yeah. And Bashir is not, unfortunately, or at least he's not when Garrick walks in. But you can understand why you'd want the door to lock and be locked, stay locked. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and, and but, you know, going back to... You know, you're you're not a fan of the Bond thing, uh, of the Bond, uh, no. you know, the Bond tropes, the Bond parody, um, and I think that's kind of the point of like, yeah, this is this story was for Julian, so we're we're not it's it's this story laid over a Bond parody, but it's more of like, hey, we have to see this thing through. Like at this point, Julian's not even really enjoying himself. He's just kind of like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna have to go along with this, and you know. We're going to have to play this out. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to play this out and just, and to get through it so I can get my friends back. That's, that's the main concern is I want to get my friends out safely. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So it makes sense that we're not on board um, for the bond thing. It's, this is what we, this is what we have to deal with. This is the situation we have to deal with to get the characters we love back safely that that's that's the main thing um that's what i thought was a little bit if you happen to be a bond fan it's just icing on the cake after that (laughs) yeah i mean it's one of the things i thought was strange because i I think of it as a pretty lighthearted episode but it actually has Mm -hmm. these like incredibly uh like impactful consequences if bashir doesn't accomplish like everyone's gonna die if bashir doesn't accomplish his goal in it but I don't think the episode, because it's so lighthearted, ever really gets that across that this is a life and death situation at all. They they mention it all the time, but it never really feels like it's that way. Um, it, it's just another sort of weird dichotomy between what I think that the episode is trying to do and what I think that it accomplishes. But it's just, you know. Yeah, and how much of that, and you know, how much of its failings are again the fact that any tv show or film gets made is just shy of a miracle so you've got stuff working you got stuff working against you even if you get a green light and even if you have a budget there's going to be things that are working against you you know they try to you know uh character kira's character the uh the russian operative um goes to kill o'brien and that could have been played up 
a lot more dramatically, a lot more, you know, uh, you know, cinema, uh, cinematically or, uh, you know, beefed up the dialogue a little bit. So, but essentially it's one shot and he goes over and takes the gun out of her hand. Yeah. Like, she no, says no, time to clip me. this bird's wings or something is her, her line, uh, before she's right. Right. And yeah. it, and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things of just kind of like, well, was this a issue of writing? Was this an issue of directing? Was this time constraints? Was this budget? You know, what was it? And um, yeah, I just I don't know. I think it was probably a little bit of all of the above. And uh, yeah, I think I think were they to do this again, especially with the current state of Trek being much more cinematic and um certainly a higher production quality. Um, more, I think they more camera swirls <laughs> discoveries. Yes. More, more camera swirls. Yes. Yes. Camera swirls and lens flares. Absolutely. How would you, um, if you were writing discovery and they said, you have to write a holodeck episode on discovery, what would mm-hmm. you do with it? Where would they be in the holodeck? I, I think to go, I think, what would be really fun would be to show them, you know, would be to scale back what we normally see on Star Trek um, in terms of, you know, uh, cinematography and things like that. So I would like to see them probably do some sort of like an 80s cop drama. Yeah. <laughs> um, with like... Uh, you know, maybe a couple of members, you know, some, some of the members of the bridge crew who have not gotten their just due, maybe this is their downtime and, you know, Hey, I found this fun hollow novel it says it's a buddy cop drama or, you know, it's a, it's a eighties cop adventure, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that would be fun. The other thing, I mean, my wife is a big fan of, uh, you know, of the sitcom friends. Mm-hmm. I think that might be fun, you know, <laughs> to have like a three camera, a three, cra- three camera sitcom yeah. set uh, and have those characters walk in and out of that. I think that might be fun. Harry Potter. Um, they just they enter the Harry Potter universe. It's, it's yeah. It's move up yeah. I, Discovery would be so, because Discovery is so angsty and emotional and moody. It would be real, like, if, if if I had that job, I would have to do something like, like a sitcom would be kind of funny to insert yeah. the Discovery characters into because I just don't, they don't fit at all in, in that world. Yeah. I, that, I think that's, that's probably an interesting thing that separates the new modern shows from the older shows where all of the older shows, I think, can get away with a holodeck episode and it doesn't feel like it's completely jarring where... If they have a Discovery or Picard episode that's set in a holodeck, it's going to feel absurd, I think, that the characters yeah. are doing that at that point. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you have to be cognizant of that when you're making a Star Trek show, that if you want it to feel like the old Star Trek shows, the general tone has to be, if we have a holodeck episode in the middle of this, the audience is going to buy the fact that the characters go in and pretend to be people in the holodeck. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, having some of that stuff, you know, with the 90s, uh, you know, a 90s sitcom with, you know, complete with canned laughter and, mm. uh, you know, maybe even the camera goes a little too wide. So you see, 
you see the edge of one of the sets or yeah. something like that just to kind of sell it on the idea of it being this 90s sitcom. Uh, yeah, I think it would be really fun to to do that. But yeah, you know, and I've spoken at length on my show about Enterprise being sort of the bridge show, the you know, the show that bridges the gap between the episodic Trek and the serialized Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, with with Enterprise being the end of the TNG era in the early 2000s, uh, you know, they I always point to ABC's Lost as kind of kicking off that really, you know, that big trend of uh, serialized television once again. But, you know, Enterprise was just before that. And because it wasn't part of one or the other, it was neither. But it had elements of both. And now here in season three and even going into season four, we're seeing more two, three and four episode arcs, uh, you know, leading us to what eventually will be. You know, uh, the very next thing that we cover will be Discovery. Yeah. And, you know, that is it is a it is a water cooler show like you kind of have to keep watching. It's it's impossible to watch. I You know, I just recorded uh, I just recorded the 50th episode of my podcast with uh, my special guest, Jason Keener, who says hello, by the way, Oh, (laughs) from the start. Yeah. From the Star Trek chronology project, which. Uh, if any, you know, Uber fans out there are curious about what the entire, you know, uh, chronology of Star Trek looks like, Google search Star Trek chronology project. Jason and his blog have done a great job of chronicling that. But anyways, mm-hmm. one of the things that we talked about was the idea that uh, it's it's impossible to really just sit and watch one episode of Discovery or Picard. And from what I understand, I think Strange New Worlds is actually going to go back to a more episodic nature, which should be a lot of fun if they're going to if they are actually going to do that. Lies. They're not going to do that. No, no, they're, they're not going to do that. Um, well, that's that's too bad. I think it would be fun to sort of revisit that format and that structure. I, I could yeah. be wrong. I just everything that Akiva Goldsman says is like he's never he. it's like he doesn't work on any of the shows like he just has this completely <laughs> detached from reality take on things. So I don't really believe anything that he says about strange the worlds. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. He, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, enterprise is kind of the last show to have sort of that freak of the week. Uh, what, what bucket of syrup are we trying to get out of this week type vibe? And I miss a little bit of that. And I think they're starting to, I think they're starting to get a little bit of a sense of that. Uh, I think, I think it was a great idea to introduce short treks to take, you know, to get some of those, you know, quick little story nuggets and, you know, let them play out in, you know, a few minutes on, uh, on screen, as opposed to dedicating a full episode to it within a, uh, within a serialized narrative. But um, yeah, yeah, I kind of miss that format. I kind of miss that structure. I do too. I mean, my problem with the new Trek is that I'm not really at a point where I am picky enough to be like, this is the kind of show that they should make because this will be a good Star Trek show. With all mm-hmm. of the new Trek shows, I really look at it and go like, can someone give me a, a good show? Like once, <laughs> once we get a good show, I'll be like, okay, now we can build off of this. But 
I still feel like all the new Star Trek shows are still just struggling to be a competent television show in a lot of ways. Like I, th- I think Discovery mm. is atrocious. I think it's just a terrible TV show. I think Picard is only slightly better, and maybe that's just because nostalgia twinges at me a little bit. Like yeah, Patrick Stewart yeah. will elevate I've, I've, things. I've voiced my concerns to Jason about that. Yeah. And Lower Decks is good, but I have a hard time considering Lower Decks to be like a real Star Trek show. Like I, I, I'm not going to be some sort of gatekeeper who says it's not Star Trek, but it, it's hard to imagine Lower Decks fitting in with the rest of the series in, in any kind of way, uh, even though okay. it's the best new show out of all the new Trek shows. I was going to say, it's pretty damn good, man. <laughs> Lower Decks is good, but it's not, it's, it's, it's. You'd have, I think you'd have to agree that the the animated shows are separate from the real shows. They just don't feel like they fit in the same universe. Would you it agree with that? It is definitely, and uh, Jason and I spoke about this at length, it is definitely a different vibe. They're going for something tonal. The tone is completely different. But if you kind of step back and look at this bigger picture, you know, the Enterprise D had, what, over a thousand crew members? Mm-hmm. Um, you, I mean, we focus on the same half dozen or so. You got to yeah. figure there's a Beckett Mariner on the Enterprise D. You mm-hmm. know, there's a Boimler. There's a Tavana. Uh, there's a um, uh, the Cyborg Kid. Damn. Anyway. Uh, you know, oh, uh, yeah. Rutherford. Rutherford. Thank you. I kept wanting to say Mayweather. I was like, no, it's not Mayweather. That's on Enterprise. Well, so here's. <laughs> but anyways. the 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 disconnect there, I think, is that. What makes TNG so unique and special of a series to me is how buttoned up it is. You know, so so if if I were to assume that there is a lower decks character existing in TNG, that actually ruins the TNG universe for me because I see the TNG universe as this incredibly buttoned up, stuffy, bureaucratic, um, all right angles. Like everything is very composed. So that's what that show is to me, and so to. To say that the Lower Decks characters also exist in that universe doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I think that you can go down the line. You can actually say like the DS9 characters have a hard time fitting into the TNG universe and a lot of stuff like that. But I think that the animated shows are this like far extreme of what I'm willing to accept. I, I accept it's Star Trek. It is Star Trek. It has Star Trek in the title. It is a Star Trek show. But it is... Um, if if they start if you bring in characters from the other series and you put them into lower decks in my head canon for whatever that matters it's not really the character you know what i mean does that make sense mm. i mean i hear you i i'm i I'm, same about I the think, novels i don't think the novels are real <laughs> like well the, the, uh, yeah the, no, the novels that, are like made up yeah um, that's absolutely valid okay um <laughs> But I think, you know, going back to it being definitely a different tone, I think is more I think is more of an apt description just because I mean, look at Riker's appearance in Lower Decks. Like right. he's a little you know, at the risk of, you know, yeah, this is gonna sound dumb, but he's a little more cartoony. Yeah. And uh Which is fine for the show, but it's hard to square him. With the Riker that I know from the live action series. Yeah. Actually, Troy on this- Lower Decks is more aligned with TNG Troy. She is. I felt, yeah. She, I she's, like. she's not very uh she's not very broad in her lower decks appearances, no. Right, right. 
So, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it definitely has a different tone and that's, that's very true. It's kind of. Well, so sorry to interrupt, but you've, you've inspired me. If they had characters from the shows come into Lower Decks and they were not exaggerated versions of themselves in the way that Riker is an exaggerated version, Mm -hmm. I would be okay with that. I think, I think that that's the kind of continuity that they would need. And if I was running the show, that's what I would do. Like I would have Brent Spiner come on and just play data like he's data. Don't do anything else. Just keep him data. Have Dorn come on and play Worf and he talks exactly like Worf. I, I think that's the kind of continuity that you need. But the problem is every time they, they bring back these characters, it's like the Riker version of it where it's this kind of joke version of the real character, which really stretches sure. it and feels like it's not exactly what I'm expecting from it. Right. And I mean, the exaggeration... I wonder how much of that is due to the actual format of the show of it being animated. Yeah, it has, it has to be. Yeah, I I, th- I feel like that's the way Riker is behaving in Lower Decks is not completely out of the realm of possibility for the character of Riker, but because so many things are so exaggerated in Lower Decks that it's kind of reflected in this more uh, cartoony nature of his, yeah, uh, this version of that character. So yeah, it, it's you know because I when they showed Miles O'Brien, when they showed the statue of the most important person <laughs> in the universe, Miles <laughs> O'Brien, and they showed they showed the statue, I was like, that looks nothing like <laughs> Cole Meany. <laughs> what are they doing? He's kind of hard. Uh, to, but he's kind of hard to characterize. Actually, he's got that just has yeah. that like curly Irish hair. Like that's the only yeah. distinction thing about him. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, we've strayed, we strayed far from uh, our man Bashir, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, having, having these characters in places that you, we normally wouldn't see them is always fun. Yes. And, um, it's unique to track, track can get away with it in a way that a lot of shows can't. Yeah. It has, it has yeah, a built in excuse. Exactly. And you look at, you look at shows like, um, you know, well, speaking of lower decks, it's not a far reach to mention uh, community. Um, sure, where uh, they had you know the paintball episodes famously were uh, you know they each had their own different vibe and they were all shot differently and you know they had the they had the western one they had the diehard one. Um, there's uh, you know my fandom is <laughs> slowly leaking out of my brain. I'm sorry, but. Um, <laughs> You know, they did they did a bunch of different things like that. One of my favorite episodes of Community was the Law and Order uh episode where, yep. you know, they they play it up and they they kept true to the characters, they kept true to the situation, but in terms of how they shot the episode, in terms of how they lit the episode, um they got those characters to that place where they were able to have this very solid, very true parody yeah. of a Dick Wolf production. Yeah. And yeah. um it's a good point. I mean, right all the way down to the theme song. I love that I love that version of the theme song. So, you know, to see to see something like that, it just makes me think that uh I really do kind of wish that they would have a little bit more fun with Discovery. And Picard, you know, yeah. I mean, Picard is somebody asked me recently online, um, 
somebody contacted uh, the show at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, to ask my opinion about Picard. And I said, well, I'm it's Trek and I'm having fun with it. It's great to see, you know, Patrick Stewart, you know, kind of back in the saddle again. But I am concerned that it's going to be this one big nostalgia fest of like, hey, remember this character from the 90s? Well, here they you are. You remember Guinan? Yeah. Before Whoopi Goldberg said the Nazis weren't racist, here she is. <laughs> here she is. Yeah. Looking old. It's go- yeah, I'm worried it's going to be more more of that. And um, People on the Discord I, were just saying that, and I, I share this opinion. The the trailer with Guinan in it, where it's her and Picard talking, it looks like it's Patrick Stewart and Whoopi Goldberg dressing up as characters that they used to play, talking to each other. There, there's yeah. no... There's no longer a semblance that they are real characters in this world. It is all this revisiting of past memories and nostalgia, and the actors don't feel the actors no longer are those characters, so they feel like dress up at this point. It's really disturbing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've had fun with Picard so far, and uh, I'm looking forward to what they do with this upcoming season, and then you know, the final season, season three. It's nice that there's um, only three. That's the best thing about Picard. I think that they've, they've decided that they're going to end it after three seasons. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's smart. I mean, you know, I, I love Patrick Stewart and have loved him since, you know, TNG since X, uh, since X-Men movies, even before that with stuff. Dune. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's gurney yeah. or something, right? In Dune. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, <sighs> God, it, it took so much to get him to agree to do this show anyway. <laughs> we we all just need to be happy with what we get and uh, you know, thank you know, thank our stars, thank our lucky stars that uh that it's going for three seasons. And yeah. then uh, we'll we'll see what we're we'll see where where it goes from there. All right. I guess we're done. All I'm gonna say is I hope they don't try to reboot DS9. Avery Brooks. Stay retired. You don't need to come back. There's no reason for the DS9 people to come back and make a show about where they are right now in the future. It's unnecessary. That's it. I'm going to give this one. We usually rate these things, Todd, at the end of the episode on our scale of one to five. I'm going to give this one a three. This is a right down the middle episode of Star Trek to me. What are you going to give it? Uh, you know, I mentioned that I'm uh, big on the uh, on the juxtaposition of these characters in a place that they don't belong. I kind of like the idea of the puzzle of how how Julian's going to figure out, you know, what to do within this scenario. And I love the fact that he just goes over and hits the button. Yep. And it stalls things long enough for them to be like, okay, we got them, and then beam them out of there. Yeah. Uh, I I love I love that. Uh, I do, I do love that turn. Uh, like I said, I think there was enough. I think there were enough cheap and or free, probably ways to make this Bond parody look even more authentic. Um, I spoke about you know the cinematic things that they could have done, adding some grit, shooting it in black and white. Hell, it's a, it's a you know rip off of these spy movies. Go ahead and throw a black bar at the bottom and top of the screen and sure. make it look like it's widescreen. Yeah, I think that would be I think that would have been a lot of fun to see that. Um, but you know they didn't do that, so it's definitely not perfect. But I'll give it a four. I like it. That's good. That's it. Thank you everybody for listening to our coverage. 
a revisit of our man Bashir. It's good to go back to DS9. It's been a long time. We're about to start Voyager, so we're moving further away from, we're moving 70,000 light years away from DS9, I suppose, in the near future. We're also going to be starting Picard. I guess I'll plug that now. I need to plug these things more frequently. So Voyager is going to be on the main feed. We're going to be doing Voyager and Picard at the same time. Voyager is going to be on the podcast feed. It's going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on the main feed. Picard is going to be exclusive to patrons on patreon.com. You guys might get a teaser on the podcast feed, but it's going to be like a five-minute chunk of whatever we talk about. If you want our entire coverage of Picard's second season, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the place to go. Sign up. You get a podcast every single week there until Picard ends in 10 weeks. That's that last chance. Todd, thanks very much for coming on. Do you want to give a plug for your material? Your podcast is Computer Resume. You can find it on all your favorite podcasting apps. Anything else you want to say? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, please come uh, come join me and my rotating panel of family, friends, and anyone else I can force to sit and watch an episode of Enterprise mm-hmm. <laughs> as we talk about uh, the entire franchise in chronological order. It is the Computer Resume podcast, and you can find it uh, wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach out to us on social media at Computer Resume. If you want to reach me personally, I'm at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. And if you want to hear me and my friends talk about genre film history, please check out uh, cinema shock, uh, that is cinema underscore shock on all of the socials. And you can search for cinema shock podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently working our way through the, uh, a series called the new flesh, the body horror of David Cronenberg. So we have started our David Cronenberg series. Uh, we finished our Wachowski series where we covered the entire filmography of the Wachowskis. And um, I don't even know that we've announced what we're going to do after David Cronenberg, David Cronenberg set, but uh, we are having a blast covering the movies of David Cronenberg. So again, check us out, uh, Cinema Shock, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can reach us on social media at cinema underscore shock or go to our website, which has uh, all of the series chronicled and very easy to Find your favorites and dive right in at cinemashock.net. Are you, is Cronenberg just his directorial credits or are you going to do like Jason in space <laughs> because he, we, <laughs> he appears in that movie? We are, uh, we are just sticking with his uh, directing, uh, directing credits, but he, we've had a blast yeah. so far. We did, um, to date, we've covered uh, Shivers mm-hmm. and Rabid. Mm-hmm. And the next one we are covering is The Brood. And I think we've basically taken his body horror films and split them in half. So this series that we are currently doing is basically everything leading up to The Fly. Gotcha. And then uh, and then later on down the down the road, maybe next year or the year after, we'll do a second Cronenberg series of everything post body horror post fly. So uh we have a, we have a good time. It's a it's a fun show. Um, we have a a fun back fun back and forth between uh, myself and uh, the other hosts, uh, Gary Horn, who's involved with the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA. Hmm. Uh, he's one of their backstage interviewers, and uh, our resident uh, film historian, Mr. Justin Bishop, who's. Uh, he dives very, very deep on all of these on all of these films and filmmakers, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. We have we have a good time. So, yeah, 
check us out if you get a chance. Cool. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for coming on to talk about Armand Bashir with me. Thanks so much, Wes. I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. We're done, guys. Thanks very much. Leave your comments about what you thought about revisiting Armand Bashir. Voyager starting soon. Picard starting soon. Join the Patreon, blah, 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 all that stuff. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you later.